This is the Craft of Coaching podcast, where you'll learn about how to become a life coach with a strong skill set through understanding the craft of coaching. I'm Kate Swoboda, also known as Kate Courageous. As the director of a life coach training program called the Courageous Living Coach Certification Program, I'm passionate about the craft of coaching and how we evolve the skills and the industry. Learn more about our program at teamclcc.com. And here's today's episode. All right. It's always a treat when I get to interview someone for the Craft of Coaching podcast about how they practice their craft of coaching. And today I'm going to be speaking with Alexia Vernon, who's the author of a new book called Step Into Your Moxie. Lex has an incredible resume. You can find out about her Spotlight Speakers Collective and her mastermind and (laughs) the fact that she's spoken for Fortune 500 companies and so many other things uh, online. She's at alexiavernon.com. She's on as Alexia Vernon on several social media outlets. And in this podcast episode, we're going to talk all about how you can help your clients step into their moxie with some of her tools. So here we go. All right. I am always so excited when I get to talk with Alexia Vernon because she is such a wonderful person to hang out with and she will totally inspire people around her to step into their moxie. And I'm even more excited to get to share her with everybody who is listening to the Craft of Coaching podcast today because she has a new book out. It's called Step Into Your Moxie, Amplify Your Voice, Visibility, and Influence in the World. And on today's podcast, I'm super excited because I know that a big thing that we are asking our clients to do is figure out how to amplify their voices, their visibility, have more of an influence and impact in their own lives and in the world. And this book is all about how to really do that. So Alexia Vernon, thank you so much for being on the Craft of Coaching podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I feel truly like you are a sister from another mister (laughs) in so many ways. So I can only imagine where we're going to go. And I'm excited about that. Yeah. It's like that, that immediate, Hey, do you want to hang out? Hey, let's have a two hour dinner. (laughs) We've done that. And like, you know, just hang out and talk life and business and motherhood and having kids and all that good stuff. So I was thinking that, One of the things that um, can be really difficult for a client is recognizing those places where she's been holding herself back and she's been in the driver's seat of that choice. And so I thought I would start out by asking, you know, you run long-term programs, you've worked with people one-on-one. I mean, you have even worked with the Obama White House's Office of public, public engagement. So like you have a really impressive resume and a lot of experience, both in your own personal life with stepping forward, being heard, um, and really getting that visibility, really saying there's an empowerment and an influence that I can step into and helping others to do the same. And I wondered if you'd start off by identifying and speaking into some of the places that you've seen clients typically struggle with even getting into that process. I want to first acknowledge that 
like many coaches, I often find myself in the role of being my client. <laughs> and right. what I mean by that is I have been that person who has been so close to my circumstances that I haven't seen what my coach or what everyone around me is probably seeing. And I always try to remember that as a coach, when I have one of those moments with a client and I'm thinking, how does she not see it? Or in some cases, because I do occasionally coach some men, how does he not see it? And I'll usually ask a question that is really simple as a way in to see if I throw a bone, is she or he going to catch it before putting out a slightly more sophisticated food buffet, if you will. <laughs> so one of those questions I might ask is, when you see yourself a couple of years from now, what will you have been able to let go of? Mm -hmm. And that may not sound like the most obvious question to ask, like why not go into what's holding them back? But usually if I give somebody an opportunity to start to explore what some of the stuff that's fallen away, it becomes an entry point into discussing. So what are we clinging a little bit too tightly to? Because that's often what it is, is it's a control thing. Or what are we not giving ourselves permission to desire? Like those questions I love, but sometimes I try to do the forward action. Where has there been some release, some surrender? Now, the other thing I want to offer for for you when you're thinking about your clients is when you get them to start talking, how can we sometimes resist that tendency to keep wanting to ask another question mm -hmm. and give them time to work their work themselves through something big with a statement like, tell me more or a very small question. What else? Or this is good. Keep going. Mm-hmm. Because I, I don't know about you, Kate, but like when I've had moments as a client, like with one of my coaches and they've just stopped talking, even if I really want them to ask me something and it's all about me, I'll usually go there if I'm coachable. And if I'm not, you know, at this stage, I'm almost always coachable. Otherwise I postpone my coaching call. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's my starting point. That well, I love that. And, and I, I can relate as well. Cause in our coach training program, we actually have a, a segment, um, when people complete their portfolio for portfolio review, graduating from the program, there's a segment where they address the skill set of silence mm -hmm. in the coaching session that they evaluate. And I think that what you're speaking to in that is, in not pushing to ask one question after another question after another question, you as coach are, are allowing for more silence, allowing for more space. And what happens, what fills in that space? The client's voice, their visibility, their desire to influence. That's like exactly what you're trying to help the client with as an outcome. And I hear you saying that you're building it into the actual structure of the session. Absolutely. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Okay. So I feel like one of the biggest ways that, that the coaching industry has, um, uh, well, let me say it a little differently. I feel like one of the biggest 
areas where the coaching industry needs to grow is in connecting the collective to the personal. And in your book, you are really presenting a new paradigm for feminism, one that addresses patriarchy and and oppression, yet is also making space for an individual women's empowerment. I want, would you talk a little bit about what that new paradigm is? And we'll see how far we get with that. And my next question, just so you know, is going to be, well, how can a coach integrate that into a client session? Because there's such a tendency to think, oh, coach is coming or client is coming for coaching. It's about their personal journey. And I know, I know you well enough to know that you see something broader. So that's why I wanted to ask about what is your new paradigm for feminism? And then how can a coach integrate that into personal growth work? I don't think anyone has asked me that these questions before, and I'm thrilled that you did because before the book, there was a TEDx talk called a new paradigm for feminism, which was exactly about this. So as a little bit of background, prior to hanging out my shingle as a coach, my undergraduate degree was in women's studies. I was an adjunct professor of women's studies. I was a self-proclaimed feminist from the time I was 18 or 19 years old on. And if somebody had told me up until I was probably 25, 26 years old, that I would ever be in the self-improvement world, I would have laughed at them. <laughs> and I'm not proud of that. But for me, being a feminist meant that you used your power and privilege to flip the bird to patriarchy, to find grassroots ways on the ground to mobilize women and not just other white women like you, but to try to bring women together and to elevate voices of all kinds of women, irrespective of gender identity, sexual orientation, race, certainly class and so forth. And that this whole idea that as individual women, we should have to like find our happiness was just hogwash because it was all these institutionalized things that were creating oppression. Um, so with that in mind, by the time I was a little bit more than a quarter of a way through my life, I started to realize that I was that stereotype of a feminist. I was angry about so much in the world. I was chronically pissy with my friends in my relationship with my significant other. And I was under earning and I owed more in student loan money than I made in the course of a year. I lived in New York City. I had rats and cockroaches in my apartment. And I was not capitalizing on all this lauded potential and education I'd received. And so then I went the other direction for a long time. Not that I ever stopped calling myself a feminist, but I definitely started reading the self-improvement books. Gabby Bernstein became one of my first mentors. I got certified as a coach after I did my own coaching program as a participant. And I started to think, what if women's empowerment is actually about giving individual women the tools that they need to be able to go out into the world, not only on behalf of themselves, but to have a social cause that is like driving them um, in the world? And what if by filling their own buckets a little bit better, they they could take on the important work of smashing the patriarchy, among other things. But I kept a lot of that to myself, my deeper why, because I felt like there was something anti-self-improvement about that. 
And it wasn't until probably a decade or so into my business where I realized I want to be unapologetically feminist and be unapologetic about my beliefs about self-improvement. And I want to bring them together. So, I mean, at its purest, what I talked about in the TEDx talk, and I don't know if I say it quite directly in the book, is that a new paradigm for feminism is one that acknowledges everything that systematically needs to change and make space for individual women's empowerment so that they can be a part of making those systematic changes. Mm-hmm. And you and I are very aligned in that. Um, the phrase that I will use sometimes is you can't draw from an empty well. Yeah. Like, like if I am, I mean, we can do this from an energetic perspective. So if my resilience is really depleted, then I literally will not have the energy, the physical stamina to march, to call, to Mm -hmm. um, get my thoughts together when I see something online that I know is wrong and I want to speak up and be a counter will voice to whatever is being proposed. But then it's also you can't draw from an empty well in the sense of mindset. So, I I mean, I can speak from my own perspective that, that, you know, when I was much, much younger, um, I grew up around a lot of people who kind of just went, you know, poor people are basically lazy and they, they don't make the right choices. And if my, if, if I have not invested in, in any understanding of myself, where I was conditioned to believe that, why I was conditioned to believe that, and then to even navigate the pain of finding out that it's not true, then I'm never going to grow as a person. And I, I you know, don't get me wrong. And I, I want to not, not you, but anyone listening to this, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want either you Lex or me to be misunderstood on that, on this point. Cause I know that you and I are not talking about like trickle down self-help, <laughs> which right. is right. like trickle down economics is like a, a flawed economic theory. And so is trickle down self-help, self-help of like, I need to help myself first before I can ever be of benefit to anyone else. I think they can ha- happen on parallel tracks and that what you learn from going into the collective can feed you as an individual. What you learn as an individual can feed the collective. Yes. And it might be useful for me to mention that when I was that adjunct women's studies professor, my main gig where I was really under earning was in the nonprofit space. And I worked for an amazing educational theater company that worked with uh, teachers and social workers and youth development professionals and the prisons with people doing like soul work, not that they would have ever called it that, but like really elevating communities in need. And I had never seen so many broken people who were, it always felt one cold away from like total collapse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that first prompted me to want to look at, I mean, I wouldn't have called it self-care back in the day, but like I am headed down a path where I'm not going to be able to be in this game for very long if something doesn't shift. And I mean, I'm definitely a highly sensitive person. Um, Throughout my life, I've been that person who's had weird diagnoses that the even the West, neither the Western nor Eastern worlds truthfully ever understood, although the Eastern world at least could provide some healing and treatment for, like, I just knew. Um, 
if I want to use my voice to speak up and out in the world, whatever my professional life looks like, I have to figure out a way to take better care of myself, to earn in a way. And, you know, I think money is incredibly um, triggering for people, both in the coaching world and certainly in feminism. But if I'm talking about a better distribution of wealth, why am I feeling so dang guilty about earning money myself? Like that just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see that. I see that. So let's, let's pivot a little bit to like a coach, a client is in a session. Let's say that she's that hypothetical. I love learning by example, which is why I'm going to pull in a hypothetical example. Cool. Let's say that the client you're working with is someone working at that nonprofit job where it's just like, if, you know, they're so overworked that it just feels like they are one cold away from a breakdown. And, you know, what is an intervention for someone who's navigating that? Because I, I definitely know that, I'm, I mean, I feel like overwhelm and this exact scenario that we're talking about is, is the most prevalent coaching issue that I see. I can't think of a single client I've ever worked with who's like, you know, I'm really good. I don't feel like I have too much to do for the amount of time that I have. That's all good. It's just this other thing I need help with. It's like, no, no, like everybody needs some help in this area. Although I will say, and there is a commonality here. I have a few women in my mastermind this year who are genius in terms of having enough time, enough energy. Like I've never once heard them complain. Um, And they're doing amazing work in the world, but in two thirds of the cases, they also don't have children. Now that could send us off in a completely different direction Mm -hmm. about, you know, how do you integrate children without making it an excuse for putting your own needs at the bottom of your to-do list. I know we're not going there right now, but to your example. So it's interesting because with the coaching that I do as a speaking coach, I don't usually have people these days in traditional jobs who are sort of coming to me in that capacity, although I definitely somebody in a traditional job who's a leader, they're usually coming to me talking more specifically about their public speaking or their negotiation or what have you. But what I did say when I used to get those kinds of situations, somebody was not creating her own situation through her work. Meaning as an entrepreneur, the way I would handle it is very different in terms of what does your business look like? But when it's somebody who has a job, like I get that you can, and I would ask a question like, what are the opportunities available to you to be able to shift your experience of what this is like? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would really go from there because if they owned, you know, I'm on a bunch of other committees I don't need to be on right now while I'm working on this big project. And that would be a lot of it. Like they'd be in a particular season where things were a little too tight. So it might mean taking a sabbatical from a board position, or it might mean that for a period of time, they drop their ballroom class or whatever it is. But then if they said, you know, honestly, I feel like nothing is in my control. I, I can change my story. I can do all of the stuff to change my experience of it sort of, but like, I still am going to have a boss who's verbally abusive. Obviously these are all hypotheticals. I am still going to be expected to work 60 to 70 hour work weeks, weekends, and so forth. Like that would sometimes be the material reality. So then I would ask a follow-up question. So given that, what is it that you really want? Mm 
Mm-hmm. And let them go from there. Like, and you know, I've, I supported a lot of people to leave their jobs and that wasn't my intention, but if you can't fundamentally change the culture of your organization, then it comes time to make a decision. Do you want to be a part of that or do you not? And one of the things I'm most proud of as a coach from the time where I did a lot in career transition was helping people not leave the world and just go hang out their own shingles and entrepreneur, but stay in the social change space and look for an organization and look for leadership where the values that lived within that organization's four walls were the same values that lived on the outside of that organization's four walls. Meaning for any person who's been in the social change space, it's very easy to want to do and be everything for our people and to have one value set. But for the leaders of that organization to not actually have the same boundaries, the same respect for their own people. Well, and I'm seeing something in here too. You know, step into your moxie is all about how do you really step into your voice, step into your visibility, make some kind of an impact. And, you know, it's like, okay, if I'm going to have to be in this job for really, how can I use the job as the vehicle for how I step into my voice or make this impact? That becomes the essential mindset. Yes. And recognizing that it's not an either or. It's not, I do this work and that's what allows me to step into my moxie. That's a piece of it. And then how can you step into your moxie as a person who shows up to that work and to your life each and every day? Absolutely. Well, Lex, I have so loved having you here. And I know that these you know, questions alone of how coaches can help their clients step into a bigger space are going to be a lot to chew on for <laughs> many, many coaching sessions. Um, and I just, I really am so appreciative of you stopping by to lend some of your value and your expertise to the craft of coaching. Um, Is there anything else you want to share with us before we go? Anywhere we can find you online? Uh, Sure. So for folks who are recognizing that as coaches, they want to be a little bit more intentional about their public speaking and use that as a way to be able to access their clients. They can find out more. I've got an open Facebook group called the Spotlight Speakers Salon. Then across social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, I'm Alexia Vernon try to keep it really simple. And then for those who check out my book, Step Into Your Moxie, I would love to hear what you take away. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. That's just the best. The best part of getting a book out into the world is like getting to see how people really use the material and getting those, you know, book selfies of, of people going like, I'm really diving into chapter two or, you know, whatever they're doing. So everybody hashtag it up. And into your moxie. And if you find that you're putting things into action within our own community, we have a hashtag acts of moxie where people can share what are ways that they're using their voice in the world. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here and everybody head on over to Amazon or your local bookseller. There will be a link in the show notes to Alexia Vernon's book, Step Into Your Moxie.